Hello there and welcome back to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Reviews with your two hosts, two men who don't mind breaking the rules, but it means we can get our leg over. It's Bread Roll and JT. Oh, I don't know what to say about that one. <laughs> um, yeah, hello everyone. We're back again after about a week off or two weeks. Seems like about a year. I don't know, but we're back anyway. Um, and we've got a listener request this week, haven't we, Bread Roll? One you pulled out of the hat, but it was requested initially by a listener. So what are we looking at? Well, we are looking at the transporter, which was requested to, um, for us to review by Susie, one of our listeners. Uh, the reason being is because it was so shit she wanted to hear what we'd say about it, basically, and um, laugh at us taking the piss out of it, which we may or we may not do. Um, but I've never actually seen this film up until obviously watching it for this one. So it's good to watch something uh, a bit fresh. This movie stars Jason Statham. It came out on the 2nd of October 2002. It runs for 92 minutes. It had a budget of 20.5 million. It had a box office of 43.9 million. So it actually did all right for itself back in the day. Doubled its money, didn't it? And fairly modest budget as well. Um, I mean, a fair bit goes on in this. It's quite action-packed and there's some quite big special effects, quite a lot of explosions anyway. But yeah, 20.5 million. I mean, this is 20 years old now, so I suppose you can take inflation into account. I mean, this was the one that really launched Statham's career as an absolute crazy fucking action hero wasn't it and I didn't really know much about this I hadn't seen it either all I knew was a bit of a, a Statham fest and that's pretty much it yeah yeah absolutely and I remember I do remember when this was coming out um, years ago my brother like things around that sort of time 2002 movies like the fast and the furious and that were all the rage and that my brother being a big sort of car person was into all that shit um and I just remember on Sky Movies, they kept obviously promoting this movie and I was saying, oh, Jason Statham, he does all his own stunts and everything, which fair play, I think he actually did pretty much everything for this movie and there's quite a lot going on in there. But like you say, it is the movie that kind of launched him into like an action star because up until then, we'd only really seen him in a few kind of Guy Ritchie capers and they were brilliant, like Snatch and Lockstock, like we said before, but this is the one that made him a bit of a star in her face in America. Absolutely. Do you know what this film reminds me of? Just watching it earlier and looking at the um the sort of IMDb and wiki front pages with the cover. Do you remember obviously working back in the game shop? The PSP fucking UMD of this, we always had it in. Just fucking just reminds me of that. I don't know why. Yeah, I think it was given away, wasn't it? With like PSPs. I mean, actually, it was the first thing that ever got traded back in, and we had about 50 of them pre owned on the shelf. Didn't we? <laughs> Loads of Stathams just staring at us from the PSP shelf. Yeah, just reminded me of that randomly. Yes, good show. Um, apparently there's three of these movies. I didn't realise that. I think I knew there was a sequel, but I didn't realise there was actually three of them. Oh yeah, I knew there was three. I haven't seen any of them. Um, and I'll tell you at the end of this, it spurred me on to watch any more of them or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about this one. Um, yeah, because I watched it last night um, before bed. So a bit of stay from before bedtime. What more do you want? I watched it when, well, yeah, about midday today. So a bit of lunchtime stay from my head. Well, there you go. Lots of Statham to go around. I mean, <laughs> really like, before we get started, everything, he has done really well for himself. But I will say, in this, before we get into the synopsis, we've always said with a Statham, like, he pretty much does the exact same thing and plays the same person in every movie. It's kind of his thing. But in this one, he tries on, I know he's supposed to be an English character, but it's almost like he's putting on some weird over-the-top accent and it just does not work at all. Did you pick up on that? Absolutely. I've got it in my notes. I don't know where he's supposed to be from. He's living in France, isn't he? In Nice, I think it's set, certainly initially. He comes across as half Cockney, well, not even half, third Cockney, third French, third American. I'm like, I don't know where you're supposed to be from. Yeah, it was just all the cock, basically. And that's, like, well, that's probably why he just went back to being Jason Statham, because you clearly can't do accents. Yeah, pretty much. 
<laughs> so uh, let's take a look at the old uh, synopsis here. As always, this is coming from Wiki, and it goes a little something like this. So Frank Martin is a former special operations soldier and now highly skilled driver slash mercenary residing in southern France who with the call sign the transporter. He strictly follow follows three rigid rules when transporting. Number one, never change the deal. Number two, no names. Number three, never open the package. In Nice, Frank is hired to transport three bank robbers with his black BMW 735i but they hoist a fourth man into the car after the robbery. Explaining that the extra, extra weight will affect his precisely planned getaway, he refuses to drive until, in desperation, the leader kills one of his men who is pushed out of the car. Later, they offer more money to Frank to drive them to Avignon, but he refuses a deal. The robbers escape in another car, but are foiled by their amateur driving. At Frank's villa in the French Riviera, local police inspector uh, Tarconi, I think his name is, Questions Frank about the black BMW that fled the scene of the robbery, which Frank was the getaway driver. So there we go. That is the intro to this particular movie. Uh, did it tickle your pickle, JT? Well, it starts off with this quite sinister music, doesn't it? And it's panning through this multi-story car park with the type sort of rolling or a few bits and pieces. Then it cuts to old Statham straight away. A young looking Statham, I'd have to say. He looks younger than he did in Lockstock and Snatch. Um, and this was after them, wasn't it? But he looks he looks younger. They've, I don't know what they've done to him. And he sat in his BMW and then off he drives. And then it turns out he's the getaway driver. And I did like him. It did make me laugh. And that fourth guy gets in. He's like, no, it's going to affect the weight. And he goes on this massive rant, doesn't he? Really precision, like, about the weight and the kilos and the weight to ratio and all that. Then the other guy just turns around and blows his fucking brains out. Yeah. I thought that was really weird as well, because it goes, um, the extra weight will, you know, use up the fuel, and I planned it precisely to get you to where you need to be, and it's like, so if you put, like, the exact amount of petrol to get you there, or gas, whatever it's called in these countries and stuff, surely as a transporter, you'd have put some in for contingencies, plus you still need to drive yourself somewhere as well, you know, you can't tell me you've got that exact amount of fucking petrol in your car just for that one job that's going to get you to here, to there, and no further. I don't know who's a transporter, who knows, he knows his shit anyway, but then we get the normal we get in all these films you get a car chase and it's quite a decent one isn't it i mean we've got the uh basic gendarme chasing him and then a, an undercover guy pulls out and it all kicks off and they run through a couple of cafes and end up in the back streets of nice and then at one point he does like a fucking spin doesn't he and then the, one of the guys in the back like i'm gonna be sick or something he's not on my upholstery and he opens the window and just pukes out the window i mean there's a few quite good comedy moments in this film i thought um and then obviously they get to where they need to be and he sort of goes off, leaves them in, or kicks them into the other car. And he, he drives off and I'm thinking, he's got like his number plates spin around, don't they? He's got fake number plates and they spin around. And I'm like, right, okay, so you spun your number plates around, but you've still got that guy's head splattered over your back window. Yeah, yeah, I thought that as well. And his, his car's a bit of a James Bond car, isn't it? Because he's got like the little ignition code now. He doesn't use a key or anything. And um. Obviously, like you say, he's got the old spinning number plates. And for anyone who's interested, I know you're a fan of your cars, uh, JT. Um, this particular car, the BMW 750i that was used in this movie, is the only ever one of these cars produced with a manual six-speed. There's been a few conversions since, but this uh, was the only one ever properly built, and it was built for this movie. So it's a one-of-a-kind car, apparently. Good fact, Debredwell. Who says we don't come out with these amazing facts in this podcast? You know, that's research for you. Um, hey. Obviously, then we meet Tarconi, who plays quite a big part in this whole film. He kind of flips his whole thing at the end. I won't give too much away. Um, And this is where I I first noticed Statham's accent going really weird when he's talking to him. 
he's obviously trying to fob him off that it's not his car and you know, the number plates were different and everything. And I'm like, exactly as we said at the start, where are you actually supposed to be from? Yeah, it, it was really bad. It was like Billy Butcher quality, wasn't it? It was just going all over the place. And I was like, so are you a Yank? Are you not? Are you suddenly you're French? Or no, no, you're American now, are you? And that, and it's all in one sentence. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> it is, yeah. He moans it all in one sentence. Maybe this is great range of acting, but I don't think it is. And there's one bit, I mean, fucking hell. It's ridiculous during this car chase. When he jumps off the bridge and lands on that fucking, that truck, doesn't oh, he? And then he God. fucking... <laughs> He shoots out the window and like all the cars fall off the back of it and then he like drives off and carries on and I was like, man, this is fucking crap. This is like that you, you mentioned the PSP earlier. There's an old game back in the day called Stuntman that was quite oh, yeah. popular. Reminded me of shit like that. And then this was like um the Italian job, isn't it? Just all these little like zippy little narrow streets now that they're whipping around and stuff. And I was like, is this actually supposed to be a comedy or is it supposed to be a genuine action movie? I just could not tell at this point. Yeah, it doesn't give too much away at the start. In fact, it doesn't give too much away throughout the whole thing. I'm not really sure what they're trying to get at. Um, and did you notice the shit music while that car chase was going on? This film is riddled with shit fucking background music. Yeah, it's fucking, it's like some weird kind of like jazz pop fucking, I don't know what it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's fucking shit. And, no, I, <laughs> I mean, the music back in 2002 wasn't exactly the best, especially the mainstream stuff. It probably isn't any, well, no different to what it is now, really. But um, yeah, it's fucking terrible. And the budget certainly got the soundtrack, did it? I was about to say, it had a low budget. They didn't spend any on the music, did they? <laughs> so, lacking any real proof, Tarconi leaves. Frank is then hired to deliver a package of 50 kilograms to an American, Darren, Wall Street, Battencourt. The package is loaded into Frank's car. While changing the flat tyre, Frank notices the package moving. Realising a person is inside, he violates his third rule in order to give the person something to drink. He discovers a woman tied up and gagged. She attempts to escape, but Frank recaptures her and returns her to the trunk along with two policemen who spot them. Frank delivers the package to Wall Street as promised and agrees to another job, transporting a briefcase. As Frank stops to buy drinks for the cops in his trunk, a bomb hidden in the briefcase explodes. So, yeah, we go. We see him sort of going to get another job enough when he's like shady looking guys. And I know obviously these people in these movies, they deal on like the sort of the underground and stuff. I would not take a job from these guys. They just look fucking suspect as fuck, Sam. That Wall Street guy, though, fuck me, he wound me up. He's a shit villain. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's like, what, how big's the package? He's like, um, I don't know, he gives the dimension one and a half metres by one and a half metres, 50 kilos and all that, and he's like, okay. And off he drives, and then he opens the boot, doesn't he, and it's moving. He just shuts the boot again, and then he fucking, he just pushes it back in and just ignores it, drives off, puts the spare tire on then we get some more fucking cheesy music he opens the bag and she pops her head out and then he cuts the duct tape she's got over her mouth just in a little fucking bit so we can put a straw through it doesn't he i'm like is this supposed to be funny or serious i'm not really understanding what's happening here yeah i was baffled <laughs> to say the <laughs> least um and yeah you're right the music does get fucking worse and that guy you mentioned fucking wall street and the guy who plays him, um, he plays a character called Vince in the Fast and Furious movies. And the first handful of them, I actually don't mind that shit, but they're sort of a fun kind of shit. And um, he was in Blade 1 and 2 as two different characters. Um, and I think that's as far as his career went, but he is fucking dreadful in this movie. And he's just irritating. It's like, you're not intimidating. You're not scary. At one point, he's like, when Stephen turns up to his house and they sort of exchange, obviously he takes the main package and they give him the briefcase. He kind of like strokes Stephen's hand and that's like, you're supposed to be, you know, a dandy or what are you trying to do you're trying to intimidate him i'm not sure but you're not achieving anything 
No, he's weird, isn't he? Definitely, like I say, not intimidating. And then he carries on driving, and now she's like kicking off in the back. So obviously, he's seen her, and then he stops again. And then he, he he's like, oh, I need to pee. And there's quite a funny line here, though. But again, we've said it before in all these movies, and I know this is the south of France. It's not the most populated area, but there's just no one else around, is there? So off she goes to have a pee. And it's quite funny, isn't it? She puts, he puts a duct tape on, and he's like, you don't need your mouth to pee. And he fucking ties this rope around and off she goes to pee and then he, he's like right you've got 30 seconds I think and he counts down and she's gone how long is that fucking rope she's managed to get I know she like slips in she fucks off but that rope's massive he's just sort of chasing it back down the mountainside and it goes on for ages yeah absolutely and I tell you what for someone a character who seems to be all about precision this is the shittest fucking idea I think I've ever seen but <laughs> right, I'm going to get this person out I'm going to un you know, I'm going to cut their hands loose. I'm going to put a noose around their neck so they can walk off. There's no way they're going to be able to reach up and take that rope off around their head when I'm not even fucking looking at them. What a fucking dipshit plan that was. Of course she was going to fucking run off. It's stupid. He lets him go off like, say, he slacks the rope so much he walks about 100 metres away from him as well. It's not even like he's watching her. I know you don't really want to watch her pee, but he could have had an eye on where she actually was, but he didn't. But there is quite a funny bit here. He, he gets her back. And he's carrying her. He manages to carry up the side of this fucking mountain with her on his shoulders somehow without slipping or falling or even fucking huffing or puffing. Then he gets back to the car. Now there actually is someone there, these two coppers. He's got her on his shoulders and he just fucking chucks her at one of the coppers to distract him, doesn't he, while he beats the other one up and then he takes the other one out. I thought that was quite funny, the way he just launches her at him. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's a bit stupid because when he throws her, you can tell she's on fucking strings being pulled along or something like that. Just fucking rubbish, but yeah, like you say, he like chases after and he finds a bit of tape um, that's fallen off, and that magically tells him which way she's gone in this whole fucking vast jungle on a mountainside. He manages to find her pretty quick, then he puts the tape back on her. And I don't know what this tape's made out of, but usually when you take tape off something, especially if it falls on the floor, that all the stickiness has gone straight away. But he manages to get it on her gob and it stays there. I've got something else to say about that tape a little bit later on, but we'll get to that. But then obviously he gets to Wall Street and delivers the package and he seems to bounce from one job to another pretty quickly, although we find out exactly why Wall Street's giving him the job in a minute because as he's about to leave, he's like, ah, oh, I've got another job for you and he gives him a packet and um, he hasn't checked the money that Wall Street gives him in the first place, has he? He's like, do you not want to count it? He's like, nah. And then he gives him another, he said, I've just delivered this briefcase to wherever it is, I can't remember where, somewhere, Lad de Rue or something. It doesn't tell him what time or anything, he just says, go and deliver it to this address. doesn't tell him, you know, and he starts saying names, I no, no names, rule two or whatever it is. And then I'm thinking, you're right, you're bouncing around, so you've done three jobs now in the last, like, ten minutes, you're doing all right for yourself, yeah. Yeah, but especially consider how, like, funny he was about taking the job, um, which had the girl in, and this one here just brought him to, um, to Wall Street. He's like, oh, I need to know how much, you know, what the weight is, destination, and all this like precise stuff, and that's how he gives him the price. But like you say, he gets given his briefcase and like, yeah, drop it over here or over there, take it somewhere, and he doesn't ask any questions. He's like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. Gets a sort of wallet full of cash and pops off in his car. But I knew straight away there was going to be a fucking bomb in that briefcase. It's so obvious. Yeah, I mean, he's sat in a cafe, isn't he? And he gets a can of Pepsi out the vending machine, and off he goes. I mean, he's quite far away from the car and it blows up and it's a hell of an explosion and it pushes him back into the windscreen of this other car and the arm of his suit's on fire, isn't it? Which I don't know if it was supposed to be funny or not, but it did make me laugh. Yeah, it's quite good. But also, the car he lands on, like, there's a guy there cleaning it and he doesn't see face that a fucking bomb's gone off. He's just still, like, <laughs> fucking mustering out. It's like, did you not know that that car just blew up or something? And one thing as well, I don't know why I thought this. He comes out, like you say, he gets a drink for the cops, which I think is pretty decent of him. Um, 
and it's an Orangina machine. And I thought, fuck me, I used to love Orangina. I can't remember the last time I saw that on a shelf anywhere. I don't even know they still make it, but I just saw that particular brand and it used to be all the rage because it had those really cool little glass bottles when I was younger. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, yeah, it was in those glass bottles and that was quite rare back then, wasn't it? I mean, it still is. You don't really see glass bottles these, this often or at all these days, really. Um, Orangina, I wonder if anyone knows, let us know because I certainly don't. Yeah, there we go. This is the Orangina episode. We want to know. <laughs> so now, out for vengeance, Frank returns to Wall Street's villa where he kills and wounds several henchmen. Frank then steals a car, a Mercedes-Benz S-Class, to get away, only to find the package bound and gagged in the back seat. He brings a young woman, whose name is Lai, back to his house. Wall Street visits one of um. Yeah, sorry, get my words out. Wall Street visits one of his surviving men in hospital in order to determine who attacked his residence before killing the man after discovering Frank is alive. The next day, Tarconi arrives and asks about Frank's car, which Frank claims was stolen. Lai supports Frank's alibi by introducing herself as his new cook and girlfriend. Tarconi again leaves with no concrete evidence. Shortly after, Wall Street's hitmen fire missiles and automatic weapons down on the house. This um this fight scene where he goes back and he sort of kicks down the door and everything, I thought it actually wasn't a bad fight scene. It was quite snappy the way it sort of chopped between the different angles. And you could tell he was definitely doing his own stunts and it looked kind of choreographed, but it still kind of looked pretty cool at the same time. I really like this fight scene. There's um this one bit as well. There's obviously a gunfight and then there's one bit where there's two guys with axes. And I thought that was really well choreographed between all three of the, the characters in this. Obviously, Statham doing the main bit where he's jumping on the wall, dodging the axes and like kicking them I thought that was really well done yeah no it was pretty good but I'll tell you one thing it wasn't well done because it made no fucking sense whatsoever as we see like Stephen comes in and he's like obviously you know beating everyone up upstairs and we see Lai and she's tied to like this office chair this wheelie office chair downstairs in the basement and she's gagged how the fuck did she get out of the basement and into the back of a car still attached to a goddamn fucking chair like, how does that even happen? Because he takes her out when he spots her and he just leaves her on the road and she's tied to this like spinny chair, which she remains in for a little bit longer. It's like, how is that even physically fucking possible? I thought exactly the same thing. And that's the issue I've got about the duct tape as well, because it's the same duct tape. It's still got the hole he made for her to put the straw through. And so if those guys have got a tied to an office chair, why haven't they put some more duct tape on it? Why have they got the original bit still? That didn't really make any sense to me. I had to rewind that bit because I was I looked down to type some notes and I looked up because I saw him steal the Merc, crash through the gates and like he's off. And then she pops up, doesn't she? And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then I looked up and she's just on this office chair on the road. I was like, how the fuck did she get there? So I rewound it and I thought exactly the same thing as you. How did she get in that car on an office chair? Why is she still on the office chair? Who put her there? Did she get there herself? Because as you say, that would be impossible. Surely the villains wouldn't have put her in there because why they left her on the chair it just made absolutely no sense at all. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. And you you mentioned there he crashes out through some gates in his murk. It takes a little while before the car takes any damage, doesn't it? He's like hammering free, comes out the fucking garage, smashes them down, smashes down two big wooden fucking gates on his way. And it's not until much later that we actually see an angle in the car to show that it is damaged. But from the angle when he's actually crashing through, it's not even got a fucking scratch on it. It's like commando all over again. <laughs> Yeah, not quite as bad as that Porsche Commando, but it ain't far off. But he gets her back to the house, his house, um, which, to be fair, you know, in, in these films, normally they've got these fucking massive apartments and everything. And his looks like, your, you know, your average south of France sort of house, nice and everything, but, you know, it's nothing special. And then he takes the duct tape off, doesn't he? And he asks her a question. He's like, I'm asking the questions you answer. 
then she starts to speak and he puts it back on i'm asking the questions and then i don't know if this was supposed to be like funny or slightly I don't know if it's racist, but he, he makes her a bowl of noodles and puts chopsticks in them and goes, I'm off to bed, I, I need sleep or something. And I'm like, you know, is that just a coincidence you made her noodles or did you think that's what she wanted and you're a little bit racist? I've got the exact same thing. It's literally my next note is like, why the fuck? Like, it's an Asian girl, so she had to have noodles, did she? Yeah. You couldn't make anything like a Big Mac or anything like that or something. Just different. It had to be a fucking bowl of noodles, didn't it? And when when he finds her in the car, just going back a bit, he looks over before he throws her out on the road on a chair. He's like, "You're like dog shit. You're everywhere." And then he just fucking throws her out of the car. And I'm like, "What kind of life is that?" <laughs> and then obviously, as the synopsis said, their old uh, what's his fucking name, Wall Street, goes to the hospital, and that's something that always happens in these films as well. The boss always goes to the hospital to see his henchmen. Always kills one of them, and no one fucking notices. I've got that as well. We're clearly on the same wavelength here. I've got hospital security is always shit in these films. Like you say, he walks in, it's late at night, so normally visiting hours would be over, and he has time to stand there and chat, kill this geezer, and the fucking machines are blurting out like a fucking really shit so long. And he manages to like change the wire, and still no one comes running to have a look. I mean, fucking hell. I mean, it doesn't put much faith in hospitals, does it? Well, I can tell you one thing. When I was in hospital about four years ago, I had these fucking drips hooked up to my arm, and every time I moved, they went off because I was I was pulling the thing and it was setting the machine off. The fucking nurses came running, so you know, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they they never do in these movies, do they? Not at all. No, they don't. And then, like you say, he just fucking buggers off and leaves this random woman alone in his house, which just seems really odd to me in the first place. Um, and then she has a bit of a snoop, doesn't she? Um, and then she just happens to find. Perfectly. I don't know why. She walks into a room and just decides, oh, I'm going to look on top of the fucking, like, book. <laughs> this happens to be, like, the perfect spot to find, like, a little case. It's got pictures of him from when he was in the army and everything. And it's like, okay, so now we're going to have the classic, this guy's like special forces. That's why he's obviously quite good at what he does. It's like, of all the places, why would you just look at the top of that fucking bookshelf? It's the first place you think, wouldn't it? I must climb on top of the bookshelf. Yeah, it's really, I thought that's really fucking random, isn't it? And then, um, I mean, then obviously the next morning when old Tarconi comes, she's made that, is it Madeline Cakes or something? And mm-hmm. she, do, she doesn't speak great English by the sound of it. And she's read this cookbook and she seems to have made these things really well for her first attempt. Yeah, because he's going, oh, they remind me of my childhood and all that sort of stuff. Uh, apparently the um the actress, what's her name? I think it's She Queer or something like that. Um, it's probably Shu Queer, I think her name is. She actually learned English just for this movie, apparently. Um, hopefully, you know, probably thinking it's going to be the start of a big career, but I don't think I've actually seen her in anything else. No, I mean, she's good in it, without giving too much away. I quite liked her character. Um, and then, old, obviously, Tarconi turns up and Statham's giving him the fucking spin again. I mean, he's already questioned him about the car. Now he's questioning him about it again, saying it's blown up. And Statham's like, oh, it was stolen. And um, then he, he's like, who's this then? Oh, that's, that's, she's like, I'm the cook or whatever. And then um, he's like, this is a completely unbelievable story. She saw him on the side of the road. So she picked him up, drove him home, and now she's his girlfriend and cook overnight. I mean, surely this guy's supposed to be a policeman. And he doesn't fucking bat an eyelid at that. Then he goes into the garage to because he's like, well, where's the car then? They was like, it's in the garage. So he takes him out there. And there it is. And obviously the front's all smashed up. The rest of it seems to be pristine condition somehow. And she manages to talk him out of actually going around the front of the car. Just he's about to grab a look. She says something and pulls him out of the garage, doesn't she? Yeah. I I don't know if I was enjoying these scenes of him. And I didn't mind the copper old Tarconi. Yeah. He wasn't a character or anything. But I just, I wasn't trying, I couldn't quite get 
put my finger on like what the kind of vibe is between him and Statham's character, Frank. Um, I just didn't get what it was going like. It's like, does he know something like, but maybe not everything about um, Frank's character? We find out later he's got his suspicions, but he doesn't really pry too much or anything. It's just, it's just really weird how he just manages to blag it. And like I say, he's just about to see the front of the car, which at this point on this angle is damaged. Unlike it was when it was crashing through the gates earlier on. But um, yeah, it's just a bit of a strange one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, because I was thinking at this point, does he know? Is he just blagging you? Does you know? Is he on your side or is he actually properly interrogating you? I, I didn't really get the vibe at all because after sort of um, lie and Statham mug him off, he's like, I'll come back later, but have a better story, doesn't he? And I'm thinking, all right, okay, so you don't believe a fucking word he's saying. And then the inevitable sexual chemistry starts, doesn't it? They um, lie and older, Frank, give each other the eye. And I'm thinking, here we go. This didn't take long. And then fucking hell, old Wall Street's men, they've got some pretty heavy artillery, haven't they? They've got fucking rocket launchers and all kinds of shit when they blow his house up. Yeah, because he goes indoors and he's like, she's like, oh, I thought you liked it quiet. I do, but not this quiet. It's like a big fucking rocket hits it. And this this is fucking stupid because I... He's got this little villain. It's not a lighthouse, baby. He's got this kind of like glass top. I'm just going to say it's like the top of a lighthouse. It's the only way I can describe it. And it crashes through like two floors and it stops because they're under the fucking kitchen table. And the kitchen table stops. <laughs> it's just fucking blown up and crash through two floors of your building. Your fucking kitchen table ain't that strong, is it? <laughs> One of them goes into the, like, the oven, doesn't it? One of the rockets. You sort of see it from the point of view and it hits the oven. And then like they go underwater into his fucking safe house he's got. But I'm... I was thinking, well, no, that's actually the next bit, so I better not give too much away. So I'm just going to the next bit of the synopsis, so I'll let you carry on, bro, bro. Well, yeah, well, we're moving on to that in a minute. But yeah, that rocket that comes in and hits the fucking oven, <laughs> go in there, kind of, it looks like it's a fucking clip art job as well. Like someone's just like copy and pasted like a picture of a rocket and like they're dragging it along with their mouse and it goes around the house, in the window, through the fucking living room and it hits the bloody oven. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. I know they get like laser precision rockets, but this is fucking crap. I was expecting something like um, bad taste, where it goes out in one window, out the other, and shoots like fuck, blows that sheep up. I was expecting some comedy moment like that, but it never happened. Oh, wish it did happen. <laughs> Makes me want to watch Bad Taste again. <laughs> Great film. Shameless plug. Frank and Lie barely escape from an underwater passage to a nearby safe house. Later, while being questioned at the police station, Lie accesses Tarconi's computer to find information on Wall Street. Frank presumed dead by Wall Street, wants to rebuild his villa and start a new life and advises Lai to do the same before she tells him that Wall Street is a human trafficker with 400 Chinese trapped in shipping containers, including her family. Lai and Frank go to Wall Street's office, but Wall Street reveals that Lai's father, Mr. Kwai, is also a human trafficker and Wall Street's partner in crime. Kwai arrives and his henchmen subdue Frank. When Tarconi arrives, Kwai and Wall Street accuse Frank of kidnapping Lai. So, yeah, somehow they end up in this fucking underwater bit where he just happens to have a bloody scuba diving kit underneath it. Then he swims to these poor fuckers' house and end up having a bit of hanky-panky. I know. He's like, she's like, is this your house? It is now, or something like that. And then she's sort of following him and they're both dripping wet. Obviously, they've been like underwater and they're sort of stripping off. And Statham's looking pretty buff, I have to say. You know, I'm not that way inclined, but I thought, yeah, he's done all right for himself. And then she's stripping off behind him and then you just see the the sort of back view and she her robe falls to the floor or whatever she's got on. She's just wearing her knickers. And he's like, nah. And then about three seconds later, he's like, oh, all right. <laughs> it doesn't take him long, does it? 
No, it certainly doesn't. <laughs> for a guy who's not about like breaking rules and all that sort of stuff, as I said with the intro there, like he'll break the rules for get his fucking leg over, won't he? Yeah, exactly. And now old um so Tarconi now, he's fucking questioned him about being involved in a robbery, um his car being blown up and now his house being blown up. So I'm thinking, surely now you can't be that thick. You must know this guy's up to no good. Absolutely, because like we said, I was like thinking, does he know what's going on? And he's kind of like he needs to know what's really happening so he can spin it to keep it quiet. But obviously he doesn't actually know what Frank really does. He's like, no, I went for a walk, came back, and my house blew up or something like that. And then even Dark Pony's like, well, the people who sort of shoot at houses with that sort of firepower are quite serious people. It doesn't just, it's not like you just left the oven on or anything. No, I mean, he does kind of say that. And then we get another thing that happens in all these fucking films. Dark only leaves the office just for lie to hack his computer just in the right fucking space of time. Every time we see this in these films, it's either a, a policeman or some fucking agent or something, they need to get into their stuff. They just seem to manage to do it just in time. Yeah, it's ridiculous. His managers like to crack the passwords and all that sort of stuff. And I was yeah. thinking, this is 2002, which I suppose is quite a long time ago now, but maybe not in the grand scheme of things, but how retro do these computers look? It's proper old school, isn't it? It's not even like flat screen or anything. Yeah, they do look pretty old school, don't they? And then obviously outside, she seems to have fallen for Statham pretty quickly. She's like, oh, yeah, you're just a liar. She's like, no, I didn't lie about what happened last night. And um, he's like, okay. And then she obviously asks him to help her, and he's like, no. Well, your car's blown up, I'll get a new one. Your house is blown up, I'll build another one. He's pretty blasé about it, wouldn't he? You know, I actually quite like this about his um cat. It was pretty casual of him, but normally in these movies, as soon as something like this happens, they're like, oh, now I've got to get revenge and all this sort of shit. He's just like, well, everyone thinks I'm dead, so I'm just going to move on, carry on with my job and get on with it, and I'd advise you to do the same. So I thought, yeah, at least he's going to be like the old classic stereotype macho guy who's just got to go and get revenge because he wants to fucking flex his muscles a little bit. He is literally quite, like you say, blasé about it, and he's like, well, comes with the territory, I'll just move on and work somewhere else. Yeah, no, I thought that as well. But yeah, fair play to you. Just, I'd probably do the same. I mean, I've never been in that situation, thank God. But yeah, everyone thinks you're dead. Just fuck off. Maybe move to another country. I mean, I'm assuming he's got a fair bit of cash if he's going to rebuild his house or whatever he's planning to do. So, you know, I don't know where his cash is, mind you. His house has just been blown up. But I'm sure he's got it stashed away in a dodgy bank account somewhere. So, yeah, and then <laughs> he turned up in fucking Wall Street's office and he walks in, it's like, talks to his whatever secretary who was in the other room. And Statham and Lyre just in there. How the fuck did they get in there? Obviously, Statham pulls a gun on him, so I'm assuming they just blagged their way in with their gun. I don't know. They must have been, yeah, because the secretary doesn't try and give Wall Street the heads up or anything. She just sat there, like, in filing her nails or whatever. And they're in there, sort of, like, chatting to him. And, um, obviously, they think, or Statham at this point, thinks that, um, obviously, there's, like, her family and that are, um, are in, like, danger. And then her old man fucking comes in. But, again, I was thinking, this, again, shows a time... Obviously, the age of the movie, like he's actually got a proper old school filing cabinet, all like the paper files and everything, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose at the time things were starting to go digital, but they're rummaging through all the fucking paper. And then her dad walks in, and no offense to this guy who plays her dad, but I was like, dude, you literally look like a cross between Elon Musk and fucking, uh, what's her name? Elliot Page, whatever it's called now. Used to be um, Ellen Page. I was like, I can't take fucking seriously. You just look like a cross between those two. That's a brilliant show. Yeah, I thought he looked really strange as well. And he's a shit fucking like bad guy. You got Wall Street, then you got him. I'm like, they're both fucking as bad as each other. <laughs> I did think that Lie turns pretty badass in the scene. I did quite like her when she's pointing the gun at everyone. And she um she's quite good in this scene. I thought. Yeah, she was because she seems to sort of like have something about her now. As part, up until now, she's just kind of been like the kind of I don't want to say ditzy, but just the kind of screaming 
hostage, isn't she? Like she's not really mm. got much about it. Now she's waving guns around. She's fucking mouthing off and everything. Then Statham gets clocked by some fucking big bastard and gets knocked out. Like you say, Wall Street and this guy, her father, like the shit is villains. I mean, I mean, we see some shit villains when we do only fools and horses, but these guys would fucking, you know, the Driscoll brothers would be better than these two. I think Bennett's probably better than he's doing me from Commando. <laughs> I mean, it's just shit. And then obviously good time in Tarconi just happens to turn up. They're like, oh, the secretary's like, the police are downstairs. So they twat Statham and obviously set him up that he's been behind it all. Yeah. So now Tarconi has Frank arrested and locked up in his station. Realising that Frank would not be constrained by search warrants and that he would be able to solve the case faster than the police, Tarconi agreed to aid Frank escape and foe um, hostages and release him in the harbour of Cassis. Frank then tracks the criminals to the docks in Marseille, where they load the containers onto trucks. However, Frank is spotted and forced to fight his way through the guards and fails to stop the trucks. He then steals an old car and makes chase at dawn before it breaks down on a small country road. He then commandeers a small airplane from a farmer and follows a highway to the trucks where he parachutes onto one of them. This section of the movie is fucking stupid. I don't know if it's so stupid that it's brilliant or if it's just so fucking stupid that it's ridiculous. I don't know, but <laughs> this bit obviously he's in the police station and old uh, Tycone lets him go and he goes onto this shitty little boat that's just armed to the fucking gills with guns and everything. And the bit when he's going across to the island, which he manages to find straight away, it reminded me of Commando, like when he's rolling onto the fucking island and then getting all geared up. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like you say, I mean, now... I'm still a bit confused by Tarconi, but obviously he's like, right, you're better than me, basically, so I'll help you kind of thing. So off he goes, and he gets to that boat, and Tarconi offers him his pistol, and he's like, nah. And he opens his crate, and like you say, it's fucking hard to teeth for everything commando style. And I thought the same. How the fuck did he know where to go? You don't see him plotting or anything. He's just there. And then am I right in saying he's got a stethoscope and he's listening into each container there's about a million containers there is he going to go around each one listening for like fucking people in there <laughs> it's like the worst game of fucking operation going isn't he? he's like around with his fucking stethoscope his little fluffy jumper and his gun and everything but then he starts having like the, like every opportunity to have a fucking fight with all these fucking goons it's like bloody level of uncharted but then we get to the fucking ridiculous bit where he, he starts fighting these guys and like in a garage and he fucking goes into like this bus and he beats them all up and he shuts the door. Then obviously the standard big heavy dude comes out for a fight. And then he starts pouring like fucking grease on the floor and everything. And he's sliding around like a fucking idiot. And then he puts fucking bike pedals on his shoes and starts fucking tap dancing and beating them all up. And I was like, I will look at each other like, what the fuck is going on? I was in stitches. I was like, what am I watching here? I mean, before all this, there's an absolute dick move by Wall Street. He's got him fucking cornered. He's got his guys either side of him. He's like, nah, leave him alive. And he walked off, and I'm like, well, why did you do that? Because it's only going to end in tears. So, I mean, there's one really good fight scene. They're, they're in this static bus in, in the garage bit, and he grabs these two guys, and he's got his vest on, and he sort of pulls it off, and he manages to strangle them both. And it, I don't know how he did it, but it's a brilliant fucking move, and it's really well done by Statham and the other two guys he's strangling. But that bit in Greece, fucking hell, when he gets that bike, and I'm like, well, what's he going to do with a fucking bike? He just gets the pedals off. He <laughs> him on his shoes. I was like, fuck it. <laughs> I was just thinking about it now. I'm fucking in stitches. It was amazing. 
Uh, Diggers, yeah, fair. Like you said, that bit of the jumper was good, and it's clearly just an excuse for Stephen to get his shirt off for this fight scene, wasn't it? Really, because like I say he's in shape now. But yeah, when he's fighting on the grease, there's a bit. But when he goes and gets the bike, he sort of kicks someone. He just slides along on his ass, and he's just sat there, like looking really pleased with himself. When he sort of gets the bike, gets the fucking pedals, and I was just like, I really don't know what to think about this. It's brilliant, but it's fucking stupid. And I just, I, don't know, I was just struggling with the whole concept of it. Am I right in saying that it is? sort of belly flops on his belly and slides out of the room or did I imagine that because I'm hoping he did no he does that because about loads of <laughs> with guns coming don't they and they start shooting and he just fucking does his little like slide along with a fucking fish slides along and then he's like goes out the fucking window <laughs> <laughs> oh dear and then it's just convenient there's a bloke with a plane there and he's like this isn't a tourist plane so I'm not here for sightseeing <laughs> and gets the guy to fucking fly off and follow them in the trucks. And I'm pretty sure that plane wasn't high enough for the parachute to deploy. So he's not that high, is he? I thought the same thing about the parachute. And this, again, is fucking stupid. I mean, the whole fucking thing's stupid. But he finds the world's shittest car. And he's, like, giving chase. And it breaks down. He's like, ah, fucking car. Starts fucking kicking it. And then he's like, this random plane flow over. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'll catch that. And it's like, how? It's in the fucking sky. And he runs across country for, like, Fucking thousand miles. It's like he's going to Mordor for Christ's sake, and he just happens to land with his fucking crop-filled plane, and fucking gets the bloke to take off of it. And I was like, "How far have you just fucking run to get this plane?" The fucking criminal was be way gone by now. Oh dear. But then he fucking like you say, parachutes out. Um, and one thing that'll make you laugh actually. Um, just going back, I remember I read this earlier. You know what Jason Statham looks like? He's barely got any hair, but apparently his hair caught fire during the fucking house scene when they were blowing it up. And it's like, no wonder he's fucking bald all the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it probably would have helped him, wouldn't it? Because you go to the Turkish barbers and they put those burning towels and shit on you. I've never done it myself. But yeah, it probably would have helped his, like, a regrowth stopping. I'm not saying it does grow back. Well, I don't know if he wants to be bald or not. Yeah. So after a lengthy fight, Frank manages to kill Wall Street by throwing him out of a moving truck where he is crushed by the wheels. Um, oh, Hallie, in the American version, Wall Street is simply thrown out of the truck to be arrested, hmm. only to be ambushed by Kwai once he gets out of the truck where he is marched to a cliff edge. Frank is prepared to fight back until Lai, um, Lai sorry, reluctantly shoots her father. Afterwards, Tarconi arrives with the police and they rescue the people trapped inside the two containers and he congratulates Frank on his work. So, yeah, I mean, this fucking fight scene, apparently, again, Statham did a lot of this. And there's a bit where he goes under the truck and he's holding mm. on. He's actually just holding on to the underneath of a tractor trailer to film that. Um, just with a few cables around him and stuff. So he actually did all this shit as well. Oh, fair play, yeah. Because, again, another thing that happens in all these films is when there's a car chase, normally there's always a fight between the main guy and the bad guy. And him and fucking Wall Street are fighting in this ATV. Fuck knows how it doesn't crash. I mean... You know, the fucking ATV's heavy, the trailer's flapping around behind it, but they managed to keep it on the road. And that's the bit where Wall Street chucks him out of the, the windscreen. He, he thinks he's killed him, but he's gone underneath. And I thought that was quite cool, because old Kwai's shooting at him, isn't he, from the car with a fucking Uzi. And um, Frank grabs, like, a wrench from underneath the truck and just launches it through the window into Kwai's driver's head. I thought that was pretty brutal, that bit. Probably the most brutal bit of the film. You don't really see it that much, but just the implication of it was pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is good. And typical henchman thing, isn't it? When he parachutes down onto the truck, and they're like, oh, no, we've got to get him. There's fucking so many guns in these henchmen's cars. They open a glove box. Like you say, there's a fucking Uzi in there, and there's, like, shotguns under the seats and all this sort of stuff. It's like, bloody hell, this is ridiculous. But 
the fight in the cab between Wall Street and um, Frank is just weird. And it's a bit where he reclines his chair and then he like spins his leg around and kicks him in the balls. And Wall Street just kind of goes, ah! the balls are stupid. Face. And he's just sort of quiet for the next sort of minute or two. He does put a really weird face. I mean, that's what you do when you get kicked in the balls, I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is quite a good fight, though. But I mean, that truck would have fucking jackknifed it like, after about two seconds. But there we go, it doesn't. And then, I mean, obviously, he takes him to the clifftop. Old Kwai takes him up there. And like you say, he's the most fucking unsinister bad guy anyway. But he's got a pretty fucking gnarly weapon, to be fair. But Statham grabs his fucking rock and he's got it behind his head. And then you hear a gunshot and. Um, because Kwai's going on about his daughter, oh, she'll change, she'll she'll come around to my way of thinking. And then you hear like a scream and a gunshot, and he's like, oh, maybe she won't. He's, he's pretty fucking casual that he thinks his daughter's just been shot. Then you hear another gunshot, and it turns out that he was she was behind him, and she shoots him, which wasn't really a surprise, to be honest, and the blood looks really shit. Yeah, it does. It looks like he's just bitten a jam donut and dropped a bit on his fucking shirt, doesn't it? <laughs> Terrible. Yes. There's a bit here as well. I'm, I'm going to say it doesn't make sense, but I just said that about the whole bloody film. But like, once they stop the truck, and old fucking Elon Musk turns up to sort of get Frank. They're on. They, he's just pulled up like on the beach. They're on the coast, and he's like down to the water. And then again, up in the fucking woods. So I thought you were going yeah. to the water. Now you're in the fucking woods, and you're on a fucking cliff again. What's going on? Yeah, I, I don't understand. And then Tark only randomly appears out of nowhere. How did he know where they all were? Yeah, and then they open the back of the bloody lorry, and um. Lies kind of like calling people forward, and like these these kids and the rest of the family come out, and it's like they're not even strapped into anything. So while they were doing all their fucking crazy driving, and these guys would have been shaking around and everything. Surprised any of them are still alive. I've got exactly the same thing here. When they open the truck, just no one seems to be injured. They're just they're just a little bit dirty, but they're not injured in any way. They're all just walking out. I'm like, okay, not one of them's got any kind of injury. There's not even any fucking. I mean, obviously Tarconi turned up, but no paramedics have managed to turn up yet or anything. And it kind of ends like a fucking cheesy episode of the A-Team because Tarconi's just like, wow, good job, Frank. And Frank's just like, cheers. And then it pretty much fucking ends. Exactly. I mean, obviously, there's two sequels, as we said at the start. So um, I don't know if lies in either of the sequels because do they get together? Who knows? Well, maybe we'll have to watch the sequel spread wrong. Maybe we will, but maybe not uh, straight away. You know, there's other things to do first. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that is our look at uh, The Transporter. Um, so yeah, only thing left to do is to give this one some scores, and I guess uh, it's my turn to go first, as it's technically my choice. So um, yeah, what can I say about this film that I haven't already said? Um, it might have to be the last time we time we take a request from a viewer because this was fucking dreadful. I hate this film. I mean, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'd heard it was shit, but fuck me, it's just rubbish. I I just don't get this film at all. I mean, I wanted to enjoy it. I didn't understand Jay from. Jason Statham's fucking accent. The fucking effects, if you can call them that, were fucking crap. It was somewhere between a PS2 and a jam donut. That's pretty much what the fucking budget brought them. With their shittest music and the crappest villains. It's fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was drunk when I was watching this. I might have enjoyed it a bit more, but I was fucking sober and fuck me. This film's fucking rubbish. I'm glad it's only 90 minutes, but Christ alive. I am not watching this film again. I don't think I could bring myself to watch the fucking sequels. It's just absolute posh. <laughs> Start to finish, and I fucking hate it. And it's getting one other, and it's lucky it's getting that at this point. <laughs> and that's all I've got to say about it. Oh, brilliant stuff, Fred. Oh, that's amazing. Well, <laughs> um, so this film was pretty much what I expected in the end, I have to say. I mean, it started pretty quickly. You get the car chase and everything, and I thought, here we go. And then it kind of 
lulls off a bit when he meets Lai and the whole bit where she's in the bag and that bit is just a bit slow and pointless. Obviously, we needed to introduce her and everything. And then, I mean, then it just went full on ball to the wall statham, didn't it? I mean, what can you say about the man? He's pretty much made his career about these films, uh, from these films from here on in. Um, although, like you say, fuck knows what his accent was supposed to be in this. I did think Lai was quite a good character, actually, but as we've said, and you just said again, Wall Street, Wall Street was a shit villain with a shit name. And it was only his nickname. And Kwai was fucking shit too. The soundtrack was fucking dreadful. I don't understand what was going on with it. It was like low-budget instrumental hip-hop. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny or whatever, but it was just shit. Um, I mean, there were some comedy fight scenes and some good fight scenes. I mean, that oil scene or the grease was just fucking hilarious. Just thinking about it now, I am going to watch that bit again. And I really hope this film doesn't take itself too seriously. It can't, surely. So after all that, I'm I'm actually going to give these two others, which is a bit of a mockery because I gave Operation Fortune two others last time, and this is much much better than well, that's much much better than this. But it just made me laugh. So two others for me, Breadroll. Um, I probably would watch it again if I was drunk. And does it want to make, make me watch the sequels? It kind of does, but I'm not I'm not in a massive rush, I have to say. But overall, yeah, two others for me. It was quite funny in places. Oh, two others. Well, fair play, absolutely. Um, and you're right, the fight scenes, one of them were pretty good. You know, fair play for Stephen for doing his own stunts, but Christ alive, I was just not in the mood for this film, I don't think. And definitely not in a rush to watch it or the fucking sequels, at least not in the near future, anyway. No, I mean, I'm not going to, like, say rush to watch them, but I might put them on at some point if I'm bored. I'd have to be very bored with nothing else to watch, but it might happen. Oh, well, there you go. So that is our look at the transporter. Um, one of a few um, uh, listener requests that we do, and I was only joking, we will take more of them. So if there's any movies out there um, that you think we should take a crack at, by all means, get in touch at the Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter and um, let us know and when it becomes available on streaming or easy for us both to get hold of. Um, we'll certainly take a crack at it. We try and prioritise them as best we can. So thank you to Susie for recommending this one in a way, weird way. Um, Join us next week as JT will be selecting the film we're going to be watching. And what are we going for, JT? The Transporter 2. Uh, no, we're not. No. <laughs> um, it's a film that I think no one's probably ever heard of. And a film that I'd never heard of until the Projector Room guys, a, a podcast I listened to, I mentioned them on our last one. Um, one of them had watched it and I thought, that sounds interesting. It's a 2011 film. It's written and directed by Dexter Fletcher. Um, so a bit of a Jason Statham kind of link there. Stars Charlie Creed Mills and Will Poulter, quite a young Will Poulter, and it's called Wild Bill. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Brad Rock. I've heard of it. I can't for the life of me think if I I don't think I've seen it. I'm trying to picture what it might be about. I have no idea. But um yeah, sounds good. I know who Dexter Fletcher is, of course. Um but yeah, sounds interesting. What's it available on at the moment? It's on Netflix. So, confession time, I have seen it because I heard them going on about it on the podcast and I watched it. And I thought, do I bring this to the podcast? Because no one's ever fucking heard of it. No one's going to listen to our, our review of it. No one listens to us anyway. So I thought, fuck it. I'll, um, I want to see what Red Roll thinks of it. So, yeah, it's on Netflix. Well, it certainly was the other day. It fucking better still be after I've just said that. <laughs> well, absolutely. We'll have a look, won't we? Um, no, it's always good to watch uh, new films that we haven't seen before. So, yeah, look forward to that one. Um, Wild Bill it is. Indeedy, yeah. Sounds a bit different, maybe. So there we go. That is um, the Hyperbaric Reviews for this week. Thank you very much for joining us. And this is Bread Rolls signing off. And me, JT. I've just got one thing that last thing to say. I can't even speak. Transportation is a precise business. <laughs>